Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The Murder of Tony McDade, Wednesday, May 27th, 2020, Tallahassee, Florida. Warning, the following episode will contain evidence of misgendering as well as evidence of controversial debate regarding the murder and hateful homicide of Tony McDade. Listening discretion is advised. was shot and killed nine days ago after police say McDade pointed a gun at an officer. Since the shooting, there's been a push to see body camera video and to have the officer's name released. Next week, at least one of those things will happen. ABC 27's Jada Williams is live in the Bond community tonight. Jada, why is the city moving forward with releasing the officer's name? Well, Channing, this decision comes just one day after the Police Benevolent Association of the Big Ben's request to keep that officer's identity concealed was denied by a Leon County judge. Hours after a Tallahassee police officer shot and killed Tony McDade on May 27th, Police Chief Lawrence Revel says he would not release the officer's name. The officer is a victim just like anybody else in these type of cases, so Marcy's Law definitely kicks in and the officers afforded the same rights as any other victim. Citing a law designed to protect victims of crime, the department says that officer became a victim when McDade pointed a gun at them at the Leon Arts apartment complex on Holton Street. This all started after police say McDade stabbed a man on Saxon Street that morning. Court documents later revealed that police say McDade reached for that gun even after McDade had been shot. To help keep that officer's identity protected, the Big Ben Police Benevolent Association took the matter to a Leon County judge. That if the temporary injunction is not entered, and if disclosure of the, uh, our client, the victim's personal information is released, uh, there will be no way uh, to peel back the damage that will flow from that. But the request to keep the officer's name protected under the victim's right wall was denied. On Friday, the city of Tallahassee announced that information will soon be released on June 8th. The city attorney issued a statement reading in part, the city of Tallahassee has received public records requests and is reviewing those requests for applicable Florida law exemptions from disclosure. Unless there is another public records exemption under Florida law that applies, the request record will be released. 
did reach out to the PBA for comment and we haven't heard back from them. Now the city says that the PBA requested an opportunity to file documents to prevent that name from coming out. Again, they have until Monday before the name is released. Now, right now that officer is on administrative leave in that case, still under investigation by the Tallahassee Police Department, but will soon be turned over to the district attorney's office. Reporting live in Tallahassee, Jada Williams, ABC 27. May 27, 2020, Tallahassee, Florida, the capital. It's just the early morning hours around 10 a.m. that Wednesday when 38-year-old transgender male Tony McDade was reaching out for support. This case garnered a lot of debatable statements regarding Tony's hateful homicide. Before Tony McDade was shot and killed by the Tallahassee Police Department on May 27, 2020, just an hour before that, around 9 a.m., Malik Jackson, age 21, the son of Tony McDade's ex-girlfriend, who shall remain anonymous, was murdered. He was stabbed in his vehicle. And according to Malik Jackson's family, the perpetrator was Tony McDade. However, there's still much debatable evidence regarding exactly what took place around this Memorial Day murder. In this episode, we have a very special guest, my brother, advocate activist for trans men throughout the country, Lucky Alexander Fuller. In June of 2020, just two weeks after the hateful homicide of Tony McDade, an all Black Lives Matter mural was created in the city of Los Angeles. On Hollywood Boulevard, a mural stating all Black Lives Matter and multiple thematic colors was created by Lucky Alexander Fuller in response to the hateful homicide of Tony McDade. In this episode, we're going to discuss mental health. We're going to discuss debatable evidence regarding Malik Jackson's death, as well as Tony McDade's, and also just really trying to peel back this whole now growing sense of that homicides do by the hands of law enforcement. As you heard in the audio clipping, Tony McDade has been portrayed as the perpetrator. The Tallahassee Police Department has portrayed as the victims. Due to that, the name of the officer who shot and killed Tony McDade around Memorial Day of 2020 has still not been released. However, the public records regarding the exactly what has happened from the testimony and all of those things have started to occur. And though we don't have a finale for this episode in the sense of who the, the perpetrator is who actually committed the hateful homicide against Tony McDade, the pertinence of this season finale is to talk about our growing high rate of suicide amongst trans men, this concept of death by cop, this whole concept of just making sure that we are addressing the needs of our trans masculine community. 
As we heard in a few episodes before regarding the hateful homicide of Caden Clark, we have now started to see this trend of where there must be some similarities between this case as well as Tony Madej's, considering the fact that both were shot by cops when they were in desperate need of support and help. In this case as well, the reality is, is that there was another life loss, and that is of cisgender male, 21-year-old Malik Jackson. According to the evidence that we have seen, around 9 a.m. on May 27th, 2020, Malik Jackson was sitting in his car around the Leon Arms Apartments. Around that time, according to some eyewitnesses, they saw McDade go into the back seat of Malik Jackson's car, and that is where Malik Jackson was fatally stabbed. In that moment, according to the, the news articles, Tony McDade then was allegedly frustrated, upset about a breakup with Malik Jackson's mom. And this led to this whole kind of unfortunate turmoil where there was Malik Jackson who is now dead. And then just an hour later, Tony McDade is now lying bullet ridden with over five bullets in his torso. So how did all of this transpire? And why was Tony McDade excluded from the All Black Lives Matter movement. What's interesting about Tony McDade's case is that when we think about the Black Lives Matter movement of 2020, his hateful homicide occurred two days after that of cisgender male George Floyd, who was fatally murdered on May 25th of 2020 in Minnesota. But when Tony McDade was shot and killed just two days later by Tallahassee Police Department, right, this growing trend of police violence towards people of color, especially Black community members, trans or cis, there has been this growing rise with that. And again, in this episode, Lucky's going to talk about his own personal experience with going from cis presuming to trans, um, to cis presuming even in the uh, masculine realm as well, being perceived as a cis male and therefore now as a bigger threat according to law enforcement or from law enforcement's eyes. So this case really gets into this whole idea of how we start to unlayer this concept of how we address mental health, especially in providing those needs for our trans men, especially. There's going to be a lot of quantitative data from Lucky discussing the whole idea of the, the suicidal rates and then how we as a nation, as a, as a world, can now start to uplift and uphold our trans men because we are starting to see that their lives are definitely being affected now more so on a visible level. And as we will learn that there has already been a growing rise of trans suicides amongst trans men, as well as now homicidal rates from officers, law enforcement, and we need to start addressing this. Tony McDade will not be the last trans man who is in need of some support, social and supportive needs. And while we are still not sure exactly what happened that day regarding the murder of Malik Jackson, all of this is still allegedly, there has never really truly been any evidence of Tony McDade committing the murder of Malik Jackson. But 
Nonetheless, it is still important to make sure that we give to Malik a voice in this case because of the fact that he did lose his life that same day. So without further ado, I am going to turn over the remaining of the episode in the interview portion with my big brother, Lucky Alexander Fuller. And again, I just want to say, I hope you all have been enjoying A Hateful Homicide. As we went through these 13 episodes for the past two and a half months, I have appreciated the growing response. Um, I have noticed that there are audience members from Ireland to Australia, all the way to Canada and Brazil. It just warms my heart to see this podcast starting to go beyond the United States, which is so important to me. And believe me, my extended abroad audience, there will be cases covered beyond the United States because all of trans lives matter here and everywhere. Okay, y'all, without further ado, I'm going to get ready to introduce you for live audio footage. Please be mindful that because this footage is live, there is a little bit of rough, um, little rough moments in there um, just regarding some audio stuff, but just disregard that and just Please, please just take this episode for what it is, which is informative. Thank you so much. And let's get started. I also wanted to take a moment and share with you all a very special, controversial um, debate regarding some information from law enforcement from Georgia, as well as those in Florida who have also provided expertise on this case. I want to share that with you all right now. Good afternoon, I'm Vince Velasquez and welcome to Law and Crime Network's Keeping the Peace, where from a law enforcement perspective, we're tackling today's important issues relating to social justice and law enforcement reform. With the outcry for justice for Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and so many more, the death of Tony McDade is being re-examined. McDade, a black transgender man, was killed during an altercation with police on May 27th. Let's take a look. You know, I just killed that man for no reason. Man, that's messed up. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> Anytime you see any video dealing with a citizen encounter like that, it's hard to watch, but we're going to talk about it. Joining me today, I have two special guests. First, we have Adam Lee, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, Fulton County, Georgia Sheriff's Department. Uh, has a lot of experience in law enforcement. Prior to that, he was a commander in Atlanta Police of the Major Crime Section. And uh, Linda Kenny Biden, who is this an attorney extraordinaire. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. So I want to start with you, Linda. Uh, you know, when when we look at a photo or a video like this, and we're looking at everything that's going on, 
uh, in the country now and Black Lives Matter movement. And somehow we haven't seen a lot of conversation about the LBGTQ community. Uh, and this is an instant where, you know, this, this matters as well. And there is a little controversy with what happened with this particular victim. What's your thoughts on that? Well, let me just tell you, having represented a police officer in New Jersey who was transgendered at the time, she was treated terribly, terribly by her department and uh, was pushed out, eventually had to sue, and, and of course we ended up winning. So what you're talking about is the systemic and uh, discrimination when somebody is different, okay? And, you, and if it's occurring against a police officer in their own unit, you know it could be occurring when they meet other people. And that's the problem. Now, the commander may not have much of a problem because I understand that Fulton County, Georgia, Georgia does do and is very, very uh, aggressive in dealing with excessive force, the, the prosecutor there. But in other communities, that's simply not the case, Vince. No doubt. And Adam, you know, she makes a good point. Uh, as a commander, someone who commanded a unit that investigates homicides, police officer shootings, um, I can't remember a time when we had a case that was charged like this. Um, and then we're looking at a, a subset of a community that we don't hear a lot about. People, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of getting lost in the movement, so to speak. How should this case be handled any differently than just to say uh, a person that has a police encounter, you know, you know in, in a regular day-to-day, -day, everyday city kind of scenario? Well, in this particular case, you have a... a transgender person that was involved and we all know that there are certain prejudices that exist uh with like the attorney just said within uh law enforcement agencies because law enforcement agencies have hired uh individuals from the lgbt community and so there has always been a a, a difficulty if you will in accepting uh, individuals for that that lifestyle so we have to go above and beyond to ensure that there are no biases especially within the police departments because uh, I could see the day could come when when we could have a hate crime uh, charge against an officer if it could be shown that an officer uh, committed the act which could have been a crime against someone who was uh, transgender or uh, had a, a different gender identity in this case, um, Tony Mc McDade is definitely a victim, but this has a little bit of different twist to it because the Tallahassee Police Department has delayed naming the officer who shot and killed Tony McDade. This is a reversal from the city's announcement last week that they would be releasing the ID of the officer. Now, the police union had a lot to say about why they think the officer's name should not be released. Let's take a look. Hours after a Tallahassee police officer shot and killed Tony McDade on May 27th, Police Chief Lawrence Rebel says he would not release the officer's name. And the officer is a victim just like anybody else in these type of cases, so Marcy's law definitely kicks in, and the officer's afforded the same rights as any other victim. Citing a law designed to protect victims of crime, the department says that officer became a victim when McDade pointed a gun at them at the Leon Arms apartment complex on Holton Street. Interesting, very interesting. So we have a police department that, you know, they want to be transparent, but they don't want to release the officer's name, claiming that the officer is a victim himself, uh, i.e. having to have shot Mr. McDade uh, to prevent himself from being injured, an aggravated assault victim. Linda, let me start with you. Uh, you're an attorney. When we look at why an officer would consider that, 
uh, or police department would consider that. Why, why not be transparent? There's, there's no reason. And this is, uh, quite frankly, um, uh, doggy doo-doo, okay? Uh, Marcy's Law was never intended to cover a police officer who, in their line of duty, uh, shot somebody dead, okay? That was simply not simply to be the case. And all you're doing is fomenting uh, racism. You're fomenting uh, more discrimination against the LGBT community. It is ridiculous. As a matter of fact, if you release the officer's name, maybe you find other incidents with other people on the street who say, hey, that was the person that went after X, or that was the person that went after Y. It's no different than how cops for years had the perp walk, right? Perp walk, find out. Oh my God, look at that person. That was the person who raped me. And so if you release the name, you may find other incidents. Well, that's a great point, Linda, because um, I'm going to go back to Adam here in a second. So when I was working cases, that's exactly what happened. If we release a suspect's photograph and ID, we had victims that would then call the police department and say, hey, by the way, that person that you showed on TV did this to me. And then we start seeing a pattern. Adam, you were criminal major case crimes for decades. What, you know, isn't that the case? I mean, why would we not want to release an officer's name? What difference does it make? It's absolutely the case. I, I think there's an ulterior motive here uh, with this this agency, though. Uh, they may not be wanting to release the name to protect the officer against maybe a possible retaliation uh, by a citizen, a private citizen, you know, a vigilante type situation. That's the only thing that I can imagine. The only reason why I can imagine why they they may not want to release his name just to protect him and his, his household, if you will, his family or whatever, from any retaliatory actions. That's, that's, that's about it. And as you can see, there has been a continuous debate. You have heard from law enforcement, legal analysts, and other representatives who have all contributed to the debate regarding the hateful homicide of Tony McDade. And now, without further ado, I'm going to introduce my brother, Lucky Alexander, and the amazing interview we had also regarding the hateful homicide of Tony McDade. So Lucky, my brother, how are you? I'm good, sister. How are you? Thanks for having me uh, on on the show. I think it's a fantastic show and you're uplifting a lot of the deaths that happen in our communities. Thank you so much. So my brother, this episode is is very controversial. Mm -hmm. We have a big debate amongst the cis community Mm -hmm. and the trans community regarding the hateful homicide of Tony McDade. We know that he was shot to death by the Tallahassee Police Department on May 27th of 2020. The victims um, in this case Tony McDade and Malik Jackson. Malik Jackson, that family feels that Tony McDade was instrumental in causing his death, which led to Tony's death. And so my question for you, my brother, and I want you to just lead with this however you want to go and clarify and everything. Where where do you think the truth lies? And do we say that Tony, because it's so important to talk about mental health too amongst our Black communities, our Black trans communities. So where do you see all of this going? Do you feel like Tony McDade was responsible for Malik Jackson's death or was there more to play? What is your opinion? Well, a lot of the, the 
research that I've done on Tony McDade's particular case, there's a lot of gray areas that lie within um, a lot of what happened and transpired in that particular time frame. Um, <clears throat> but I feel like regardless of whether Tony was responsible for Malik's death or not, um, it does bring up a lot of things around the transmasculine community, especially when it comes to mental health and a lot of the violence that Tony McDay sustained prior to his own death. Um, there was Facebook Live videos. There were um, several other indicators that he was going through a mental health crisis and that he had a lot of suicidal ideation that came with um, what was going on. And he was being bullied. He was being beat up prior to Tony McDade's death. He was beaten up by a group of cis men simply because he was trans. And then when it was reported uh, by the media and the news stations in the area, he was dead named and misgendered. So that, that kind of adds to the convolution of all of the Tony McDade story as a whole. Um, I think that the mental health piece definitely kind of plays in because when we look at the statistics around transmasculine um, suicide rates, we're looking somewhere around 55%. So we're looking at one in two trans men are um, <clears throat> attempting suicide or have some type of suicidal ideation when it comes to just living life, right? And then we look at um, our trans femme counterparts their suicide rates look like 27, 26%. Our non-binary counterparts are also at the 20, you know, they're hovering in the 25% range. Mm -hmm. But if we look at the cis society, it's, you know, as the general public, it's 14%. Mm -hmm. So there's a big gap between even our, our trans femme folks and non-binary folks and our trans masculine folks, there's an even bigger gap. And the younger you go, the bigger that gap is because there's no resources. There aren't any um, emotional resources for folks to outlet these things. And that also gives a telltale into what is the male community as a whole going through. Mm -hmm. Because this, the things that trans men suffer through around emotional support, around um, emotional release, mm -hmm. is indicative of what the, the male community as a whole is going through. Um, because look at the socialization that happens. We have the male community that, that is supposed to be stoic and supposed to be um, independent and strong and you know. a lot of the mental health pieces around the male demographic as a whole. Um, when we look at the male demographic, they're, they're suffering just as much as any other demographic. We have, one, the narrative that men are supposed to be the strong ones and men are not supposed to show emotion and that it's a weakness to show emotion, dot, dot, dot. Um, but I think that mental health also needs to be inclusive of the male population exactly. because it's leading to suicide it's leading to um, violence mm -hmm. you know think about a person that um, transitions and 
prior to transition had the space, had the the support to be able to be emotion and hold those emotions. If you think about it, after they transition and they're assumed to be cisgender, that space disappears and they're left to internalize all of those feelings, all of those emotions. But if you're one of those folks that, like our cis male demographic, that don't have the same kind of access to their emotions, then they don't know where to put it. They don't know how to name it. They don't know how to respond in a in a way that is advantageous for growth. Mm-hmm. So I think Tony McDade's story not only uplifts the erasure of trans men as a whole, let alone trans black men, um, due to his name not being uplifted throughout the whole Black Lives Matter movement, but it also uplifts the disparities within the, the male population around mental health and those needs being met. Absolutely, my brother. And, you know, one of the things that you really touched on was this idea of the, the suicide rates for trans men being at 55% and that lack of emotional support. With that being said, do you feel like if those resources had been available, if they were able to be, you know, ready for people who are dealing with a lot of things and we know as trans people as we transition our bodies are changing hormones so do you think if there are more resources the more resources we have for trans men do you think that that will be a great benefit in terms of reducing mental health and then also maybe things like this wouldn't um, possibly occur as much i think that if there were more resources for trans men as a whole so not just mental health not just medical not just all of these resources that are being afforded to other folks i think that if those resources were available to the trans masculine community that it would definitely lead to a better quality of life i think that the rates of suicide the rates of violence the rates of just toxic masculinity i think that it would lessen that that burden. I think it would give folks an outlet to be able to say, hey, I'm not okay. Or, you know, I'm feeling a little blue today. And it'd be okay to be in that space and have support to get through that. But if you're unable to name it, if you're unable to process it in a way that other folks are able to process those things, then it gives us unfair disadvantage um, to be able to thrive in life. Oh, my brother. What is some advice that you would give to individuals who are transmasculine? One of the episodes that we had um, was um, a few episodes back with Caden Clark, and he was a white trans man who, too, was also shot by the police. He called out, his friends called out for help, and um, as a result, he uh, allegedly went wielding with a knife at the officers and was shot down. So we, and this was in 2016, about four years before Tony McDade. So, you know, there's this pattern that we've seen, that we're seeing where, you know, like you said, there's this increase of just, you know, violence towards trans men. And it seems to be a correlation also now with 
law enforcement. It, is that something that you as an expert and someone who works a lot with the populations throughout the U.S. have, have heard from other people about uh, a lot of the violence towards trans masculine or trans men coming from law enforcement or is there another direct source of this um, violence? I think that the violence shows up much differently for trans men than it does for other populations simply because for a lot of us we're an afterthought and you know like I mentioned before there are no resources so you kind of have to figure it out and when it comes to encountering um, law enforcement I myself have had to deal with law enforcement and it's not a good feeling you know mm -hmm. because walking through the world perceived as a femme-identified folk, um, I was looked at much differently than I am now, perceived as a cis male. And so, being perceived as a cis male, I've gotten pulled over twice as many times as I ever did as a stud. Um, <clears throat> I think that there are a lot of different intersections that, that impact that interaction. I think that um, someone that's not BIPOC or not a person of color or um, not black doesn't have the same access to resolve when it comes to police interaction. Um, I also believe that if the resources were available that it would lessen a lot of the violence. It would lessen a lot of a lot of the, the mental health and depression um, challenges that, that trans masculine folks go through because then there would be coping mechanisms in place in order to be able to move through these emotions. There would be um, there would be therapists that were competent to be able to talk to trans masculine folks and get them to understand how to name those um, emotions. You know, for me, it was the women in my life that showed me how to name my emotions. It was the women in my life that that showed me how to navigate. And so, oh, Brother Lucky, you have been such a joy to interview with and speak with. And as we prepare to conclude, I just want to ask you, you know, what is your advice for young trans men, for trans men in general? What would be some advice that you would give to trans men? Um, I think that most of the advice would come out of a place of safety. So for all of my trans mass folks, be safe. Um, be aware of your surroundings. Be be vigilant in, in the things that you do if possible. You know, use a buddy system. It ain't nothing wrong with hanging out with one of your buddies and, and um, rocking together through through whatever it is that you're going through. Um, on the mental health side, you know, reach out, say something, um, speak up because we don't know if something's going on. Um, and I know sometimes folks may ask and you don't want to tell them because of the stigma and all those different things. None of that really matters. All that matters is that you're the best you that you can be, and if you're not here, then um, it's there's there's a missing angel on the earth. Um, I need I need all of my trans mass folks to understand you're more than enough, and that um, 
there's there's so many more of us out here. You're not alone. Um, it's gonna be all right. Oh my brother. Oh, so where can where can where can these 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 amazing young trans men, these young men of color, just men period, who want to be able to follow you and the work that you do and get more involved? Where can they follow you and Invisible Men at? Well, you can find us on the website at Invisible T Men. That's the letter T M E N dot com. Um, you can find us on the socials. So uh, Instagram, you can find us at Invisible Trans Men. Uh, the logo is purple if you're looking for us. And then um, for me, you can find me at uh, Lucky Alexander. It's L-U-C-K-I-E uh, Alexander on Instagram. And you can also follow us on Facebook. Same handles. Absolutely. And as we always conclude, the season one finale. Season two will begin in September. More details to come. And to my brother, Tony McDade, we remember you. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. That's right. We remember you, my brother. 1981 to May 27th, 2020. Continue to rest on my brother. Thank you all so much for tuning in to the season finale of A Hateful Homicide. My name is Mallory Jenner Robinson. And again, please continue to follow us on A Hateful Homicide on IG. You can also please use the hashtags A Hateful Homicide. Thank you all so much. And I look forward to connecting with you all with more episodes this September. Take care.